Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. I'm Kerry Newhoff, and uh, man, I'll tell you, it's uh, wonderful to have David Kinneman with me today. David, welcome back. Thanks, Kerry. It's so good to see you, man. It's uh, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while, yeah. And for those of you who have tracked with the show or, or follow David, uh, you probably know what's happening. For those of you who are new or who might not know, this is a very different kind of episode. So. David has been off on bereavement leave for the last three months after the passing of his wife, Jill. And in this episode, we just wanted to talk more about, David, what that journey has been like for you, um, how you're doing as a friend and as a leader. Um, You were a leader I followed before you became a friend, and we've been friends for well over a decade now. And so I just want to say on, on behalf of everybody listening, all the leaders listening, uh, just thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. And we've all been praying for you and we have all been in your corner, um, not only over these last few months, but over the last few years as Jill's gone through her journey. So um, yeah, it's good to have you back. Thanks. Well, it feels uh, it feels good to be back. Um, I'm, I'm sort of coming back into some work here after three months off I'm uh, for the for the company I'm actually still what I describe as in the background but not back because right. um, the team is doing such a good job and it's been awesome to see Todd White and Joe Jensen and Elise Youngblood and Matt Randerson and Daniel Copeland and on and on and on uh, Brooke Hempel others uh, Savannah Kimberlin just doing really great work the whole team and yeah. um and so for me, it's uh, it's been nice to see some new patterns. You know, as leaders, sometimes we're just like right in the mix of everything. But um, I've every week been just working a little bit more and and just doing what comes naturally. It almost feels like having gone through what I imagine would be like open heart surgery or a major medical crisis personally. Um, and so coming back just slowly, just giving myself permission just to do a few things and and. Take take it easy on myself. Give myself grace. Give give grace to others. But um, it feels good to see you again, uh, Carrie, and just to sort of, you know, uh, begin to sort of feel like, oh yeah, this is a little, this is a little bit what it's like to feel like a human again. Mm. Well, and I think you know, you and I started this podcast about eleven months ago. If you're time stamping it, to talk about the crisis, and as as you and I were saying, by the time we hit late summer, there's a crisis within a crisis within a crisis. I mean, we've got the pandemic. We got race relations, we had political disruption, we've had more than any of us ever would have guessed a year ago. But then for some leaders, yourself included, uh, that's been coupled with a personal crisis. And so for you, it was the terminal cancer of your wife, Jill, and uh, navigating everything that that involved. But a lot of leaders, you know, they're kind of running two tracks. It's tough at home. They've got some health challenges, somebody that they care about is is not in a good place or there's some other like not a leadership crisis per se or a global crisis but just some other stuff that they're navigating and that's a whole level of complication that and and difficulty that leaders haven't had so thank you so much for being willing to come on and just talk to us about about David not just the president of Barna and not the researcher the the leader we know but just but just you as a friend and I want to go back to the beginning um 
tell me about you and Jill, like when you met and how you fell in love and, you know, what, what caught your eye? We all have that moment, right? And you guys, when, how old were you when you met Jill? Uh, I was 16. We were both 16 years old. We turned wow. 17 just a few months after we met. You didn't have a fierce beard like this back then, did you? For those no, of you who were watching? It was, very, no. uh, it was an aspiring beard at that time, but <laughs> it was, it was uh, you know, the teenage version of this. But um, yeah, so we met at, at a high school in um, Mesa, Arizona, where, where we were yeah. both uh, growing up. And um, we were in trigonometry class and um, it was the hot end of summer in Phoenix, you know, hundred plus degrees. And we were in a portable, we met in that class. And uh, one of the crazy, crazy things was I sort of thought she was really beautiful right, right at the very first day. I remember sort of like, oh, wow, she's, she's cute. And um, so, you know, uh, she was a senior, I was a junior, even though we were very close in age, she was uh, a a little uh, academically a year ahead of me. And she was, what I, what I describe as a swim goddess. So she was captain of the swim team and a very competitive swimmer uh, in the state of Arizona. Uh, actually, she'd really aspired to go to the Olympics and do some, you know, sort of like, you know, collegiate, collegiate uh, swimming and all the rest. Hmm. And um, anyway, that didn't end up working out for her. She, she decided she wanted just to go to a Christian college and not, not swim competitively because it took so much time. Yeah. Um, but what was really cool was um, at the end of the, um, uh, the, the sort of the first semester, we didn't really know each other very well. Uh, but this is sort of true story. Uh, my, my pure hearted self at the end of Christmas break, I prayed that, that God would rearrange the seating so that we could sit next to each other, uh, uh, in coming into the, into the spring semester. And sure enough, Jill was sitting next to me at the beginning of the spring semester, which, which really sparked the ability for me to, you know, throw on all my geeky charm and help her with her trigonometry homework. <laughs> That's such a 16 year old prayer, isn't it? But, but you don't really want to lose that either as you get older. Um, so Jill, obviously you fell in love, you got married, you had kids together and you said, you know, she's the mother of your children, your best friend, your wife, your lover, but also a business partner as well that she was, she was involved at Barna. So what, tell us a little bit about um, what she brought to all of that as mom, as your wife, like who, who was she? Yeah. So we met at age 16 and uh, got married at 22 and then dated for five years. And then we were married almost 25 years. So um, just a few, just a few uh, months shy of our 25th anniversary. And, um, you know, as a, as a business partner, it was kind of cool that um, when we first got married, she was um, she was actually an elementary education major. But then uh, when I started working at George at, with George and Nancy Barna, uh, G- George asked me to, you know, I was an intern. I sort of ran the field center. Um, I got a full-time job coming out of Biola University. Off, I got an offer from, from George and Nancy Barna to work with them. And Nancy uh, was really smart. Um, and she, she is really smart. She's an amazing business la- uh, lady. She's, she's incredible. Uh, she's been a mentor to me as much as George was on the research side. Uh, Nancy Barna was a mentor to me on the business side. And so she uh, actually hired Jill too, figuring that sort of two are better than one. And hmm. uh, for the, she's, she, said, she says now that you know, she saw right away that there was some, something, you know, some potential with me and she wanted Jill to get really like exposure to the kind of business that, you know, she and George were running. And so <clears throat> we ended up, you know, getting married. We moved to California. Uh, we, we were going to school, but we, had, we got married in Arizona. 
and um, we moved all of our stuff to to uh, Glendale, California, and then we um, we ended up moving the business to Ventura, California, uh, in 90, 1996. And so for many years, uh, Jill was working here, doing bookkeeping, doing sort of general management work, uh, scheduling, um, just just a ton of different things. She she would actually travel with George Nancy Barna on seminar mm. trips, um, and so you know selling books in the back of the room. And uh, so, you know, a lot of the things that we've lost include, you know, the ability really to like think about the business and the mission and the ministry together. What was cool, she was such a deep believer in it and a deep believer that God was calling me to do, you know, things in my life and with our lives. Um, But she was also very open handed about that. Um, I remember doing a life plan uh, together um, uh, where in 2008 and 2007, 2008, I was like not clear about what I wanted to do next. Um, I thought I might want to sort of take on Barna Group, but there were lots of other things I was sort of thinking about. So we did this whole life plan and she had to leave a little early. Then she texted me on the way to the airport. She's like, hey, so what do you want to do? Like, if you want to leave Barna, if you want to go do something else, I'm game. You know, just very like, there was no like um, stickiness for her. So she was a wonderful partner. And then when she got sick in 2017, I remember really feeling the weight of not being able to process you know, the decisions that we had to make in life and, you know, the people we were hiring and the people that we were bringing on to the business. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I actually think our, our, uh, my leadership suffered, you know, because for a lot of reasons as she, you know, declined, um, because she was such an amazing partner and, and also totally unimpressed by the stuff that I was doing. So she would, (laughs) you know, she would be like, Hey, what's the name of that book you finished just recently you know she couldn't remember the titles of the books and you know i'd travel and she'd be like oh, what, are, what are you doing again today i have no idea what you're doing you know so it was it was pretty cute how her frame of reference was was very different and kept me grounded hmm. i'd love to go back to 2017 when you first got the diagnosis of jill's brain cancer now i've never navigated anything like that uh, but a lot of leaders have um, with someone close to them, what was that like for you? And what was it like for the kids to realize, Oh, we've got, we got something really serious here. Well, there's, you know, we could, we could spend weeks and, and, and months just talking about, you know, the, the, the emotions of all that. But, you know, I was in, in Colorado actually on the day that she was diagnosed, uh, she had been having major headaches and, um, I actually, you know, got a call from her. She was taking herself to the ER cause she was just couldn't take it anymore and, and needed some relief from the pain. And, um, you know, our lives really changed, you know, obviously, uh, she had a major, major brain tumor and, um, you know, trying to figure out how to get back, get to her, talk to the kids about why mom wasn't picking them up from school. Um, you know, so many things that, you know, you just, you never prepare for. Um, and so, you know, it's been, it's been an interesting you know, journey of trying to figure out how to lead through loss. And I think mm-hmm. you're right. You know, as we're talking about this clearly, thank, you know, th- thank you for all you've been doing, Carrie, to, you know, mm-hmm. keep the podcast going. Thanks to leaders who've been supporting bar and have been praying for me. Um, and so many of us as leaders, as you said, whether, whether it's, you know, there isn't much else that's as difficult as losing a spouse, uh, but we're all going through aspects of loss that are very difficult and, and trying to hold ourselves together, allowing the Lord to minister into us at the places where we're the weakest, um, you know, and just realizing, I mean, one of the themes for me this last four years and certainly the last year is like, I don't really control as much as I imagine I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that much other than just my own heart and response and reaction. And even that is God's grace. So, 
it's been a, you know, it's been a real journey of just acknowledging all the places in my life that I thought I could control and all the things that really just are, you know, com- completely at, at the mercy of, of life and circumstances and God's, you know, unfolding will in our lives. And um, so, you know, it's been, it was a very difficult thing. The crazy thing was, um, so she, she called me at my, at, you know, on that Monday morning, I was with a client in Colorado and I said, go to the ER, you know, get your, get, you know, get taken care of, get some pain medication. Um, she thought she had a pinched nerve. Some, her primary care physician had said, you know, I think it's just a pinched nerve. I got on a plane because I felt, felt like this was a category different than the, the usual sort of like, hey, I've just got a headache and I need some medication. I just, I felt like this sense from the Holy Spirit, it was time to, to kind of come home. And, um, you know, I logged on to my computer to Wi-Fi uh, on the plane and, you know, in, in, in the middle seat, I got the text from Jill said, hey, the, the, the CAT scan shows that it's a tumor. And I just remember um, the feelings of that sort of just this, you know, um, if you've ever seen like the movie, The Hulk, or, you know, it's mm-hmm. just like this, this welling anger and frustration and just like fear and um, I, I have a, one of those biometric watches that shows your heartbeat. And it was just like, you know, it was really like, you know, in the 60s, 70s. And then it just went up to like 130, you know, and it was like up at, in the 130s or 140s for, you know, for an hour plus until we landed and, you know, started to have to, have to make phone calls. And um, so, you know, just the, the miracles of modern life, you know, being on a plane, getting a text from your wife. Um, and she was just like plain as just like, hey, you know, so they're going to be t- transferring me to another hospital you know, I'll, you know, see you when we, when you get there, she was just, you know, she was amazing. Um, literally just through the, the whole four years, she just was such a champion. Uh, sometimes I think it is easier being the person sick than the people around you who, you know, who, 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 uh, are trying to put their, uh, you know, their, their lives, uh, you know, together in some ways, but, um, she was just an absolute champ and, uh, her faith in Jesus was one of the things that really drove her through all that. But anyway, crazy little part of the story was, you know, finding out about the tumor on a, on a, on a in-flight Wi-Fi. David, uh, you and I've had lots and lots of conversations at different points over this four year journey. Um, and I would love for you just to be able to share And you're right. This could be a book. This could be a whole podcast in and of itself, but the dynamics of loss. Um, you've, you've had all the emotions and then some, and some you ever, I, I remember one conversation we had after Jill's death where you're like, and some, I didn't even know I had. Um, can you walk us through that? Just this, this, this kind of thing I'm sure uh, is just sometimes if you help hear other people name it, you're like, Oh yeah, that's what I'm feeling. Cause you're not alone in this journey. I do think that what we've all experienced this last year um, is a, a, a journey of loss and, and, a, and a, a lack of control and showing how much the things and the systems and the structures and all the things we count as important are uh, less significant or uh, less controllable. Um, and, um, and we've all been leading through some kind of loss. I mean, if you're a pastor, you're, you know, your church isn't quite the same as it was. You're you know, you're, you're, you know, sort of the, the, hopefully there's things that are stronger about it, but, you know, we're all realizing the things that we sort of put our trust in uh, can sometimes be skin deep mm. <clears throat> um, or an MRI, you know, like, like, like an MRI can, can, can change our whole perspective about life. Um, but there's a few things I, I could highlight. I mean, f- first I said it earlier, this, the sense of being out of control and and realizing God's 
care for me and for us in the midst of that. Like this, like the peace that passes understanding to me uh, in this last three months has been that I love this woman so much and that somehow I can continue to move forward and, you know, make spaghetti for my kids or, you know, love on my kids and, you know, enjoy, you know, enjoy a cup of coffee. I mean, like the fact that we can sort of move on in our lives and, and feel this great, what I, what I describe as insurmountable grief, uh, but, but be able to move forward um, is something like a piece that passes understanding. And um, so, you know, we, we had all sorts of dreams for the second half of our life. You know, the kids are, uh, our youngest is almost 17. Um, you know, we had thoughts and ideas about traveling and hospitality and hosting people and, you know, tra- travel and, and all sorts of things. I feel like, you know, a lot of my dreams died with Jill um, and I have to go build some new dreams, but I think it's okay for us as leaders. Um, and I saw this in George and Nancy's leadership. I've seen this in my father's leadership, Gary Kinnaman, who, who led a big church in Phoenix. Um, this idea of like not holding things too tightly, mm. um, you know, rec- and, and when I talked to Jill about the business, um, before she died, I was like, Hey, do you want me to, you know, what do you want me to do with Barna? It's like, it's part of our legacy. And, um, you know, and honestly, friends, it's a, it's a, it's a big challenge as, as you and I have talked about Carrie, it's like, yeah. what, what do I do now? What do I do next? Yep. Not making any big decisions with anything, but Jill was like, Hey, you know, you should keep the company. If you want to keep it, you should sell the company. If you want to sell it, you know, you should don't do anything out of my memory because part of the legacy could also continue. And so much of what we've done together and what George and Nancy built, um, you know, there, there's lots of different ways that, that God might use this. And, um, so, you know, it's just a really, you know, I think I'm just early on in this journey of trying to put even words to all of it, but recognizing that we're not in control that the Lord is, um, you know, there's this really interesting phrase that Paul says, you know, sort of as the Lord allows, here's my plans. Hmm. And so I think we should, you know, as leaders get better and better with this, this kind of phrasing of, you know, as the Lord allows, as, as we're, as we're able to see, you know, the, sort of like driving through the fog with the headlights, you know, you really can't see the whole road ahead of you. You can just see just far enough uh, so they don't drive off the road. And, um, you know, I think this journey of grief, part of why I'm sort of slowly easing back, why why I was committed to bereavement leave, uh, why even in coming into the background, I'm not sort of back yet is just, I I realized that I've got to give myself permission just to sort of get, you know, get whole again. And uh, it's not easy to do because there's so much to do. And um, so anyway, those are just a few thoughts. Yeah, I've all, we've had so many conversations, but one of the things that really impacted me was what you you briefly touched on in your last answer, which is because you're what? You're in your mid-40s right now? I'm for, 47. 47. And you said to me, I think at the time you were 46, and you just said, my... I had this picture of what my life was going to be like, you know, our kids' graduations, our kids' weddings, grandkids, things we do one day, you know, where the company was going to be at, where we were going to be at. And all those are gone. Like when the diagnosis became terminal, you were seeing the death of a dream. And I just, you know, that really hit me emotionally. I talked to Tony about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even realize how much I am living for those moments, you know, because I, I tend to be very anchored in the present. A- any thoughts on how you navigate that when a dream dies, when when the picture of what is ahead is so fundamentally different from anything you would imagine to that point? 
Well, I could say that um, part of the answer to that is to give you and, and listeners a, a stretch out the last four years. So, you know, June uh, 5th, she gets diagnosed. June 7th, she gets the, the surgeries. Uh, June 9th, she's home. Uh, she's actually better and more herself for those two weeks. And then she gets desperately sick with an infection after the uh, operation, has several different operations uh, to clear out the infection. And then the, the the late summer and fall of 2017 were just horrific. She lost her really lost her mind because of the infection, um, <clears throat> was fought, really battled back. I mean, she battled back uh, to all of us. And um, so we, we went through a a period of really having to figure some of that out of like, what does it mean uh, for us as, as a family to you know lose Jill or maybe to have to care for her in a diminished state. So as a family, we really had to, to wrestle with what does it mean for us to care for Jill, you know, in a diminished state. And we, you know, it wasn't terminal at that moment, but it was obviously pretty significant. And, um, and then, then 2018, 2019, early 2019, we're, we're actually really good. And so we actually started to dream a little about what, you know, uh, a, a, a different kind of life would look like, but a life continuing for her. And then she got sick in twenty nine in twenty nineteen late uh, late twenty nineteen uh, October of twenty nineteen, and um, the nature of that you know sort of recurrence was such that it was like on the other side of the brain and multiple tumors, and uh, the doctors that were the most honest with us, which is a really interesting thing. Not every mm. doctor is really honest with you, and that's something I think is really hard to, to navigate is finding someone who can really help you grapple with the honest truth of it. Um, and not to be, you know, sort of fatalistic, um, but that, that's a whole different discussion we could have about sort of, you know, sort of a, a philosophy of healthcare today and, and how people who don't believe in an afterlife, you know, kind of try to try to just, you know, make it, make what, what days you have remaining sort of, um, you know, as bearable as possible and sort of like just sort of a false optimism. Uh, but the, the doctor who was the most honest with us said, Hey, you know, enjoy this next year. And almost, uh, she died 54 weeks later. Wow. And um, so he was just spot on. And so as you think about <clears throat> as for leaders, um, I mean, there's some practical things I would recommend to you having gone through this. And again, nobody plans for these things. But first, we were we were pretty, we had great health care. We had some life insurance. We did not have the kind of long-term disability care that I think we really all should have. <laughs> so just as a as a plug, like take care of your personal business, um, you know, get your will in order, um, you know, take care of your kids, think about some of these things that, you know, again, the odds are they don't happen. Uh, but it's kind of crazy because I like, I think we buy like warranties on, you know, like our radios and our, our <laughs> what, what's a radio or, you know, our computer equipment. Yeah. I have Apple care plus on my phone just in case. Right. Yeah. But we don't have, you know, like a will in case our kids need, you know, lose their parents. And so yeah. um, I just really remind leaders that leaders and listeners that, you know, it's, it's, it's just good stewardship and, and none of us are promised anything. Um, you know, again, I hope, I hope that's never, you know, the scenario for you, but I've been looking kind of holistically at, you know, now that, cause now I'm the only one my kids have. Um, and so how do I make sure that, you know, that they're, that they don't have to worry about the same things I had to worry about for Jill and, um, you know, just doing a full audit of that is really, is really important. But, um, you know, sort of recognizing that as we went through this last four years, there were so many different twists and turns of, you know, what I wanted to do with my life and how I might, you know, sort of think about caregiving for her, you know, sort of like right this minute, nine, you know, sort of 90 plus days since her passing, I'm, 
I'm realizing how much of a full-time job it was to care for her in the last year, yeah. uh, emotionally, time, money, effort. And so part of what has been good about the bereavement leave has just been kind of just decompressing from the pressures of running Barna, you know, and, and, and caring for Jill sort of two full-time jobs at the same time. And mm -hmm. so trying to come back, you know, in, in any kind of healthy way, uh, it's important for me to sort of disentangle some of those, the, some of those things. Uh, but yeah, just pro processing the grief, realizing that, you know, God can use us in a lot of different ways. You know, we, Jill and I both made a commitment early on that we wanted to be very open about the, the journey that she was on. She was very willing for us to blog about it at prayforjill.com. And, um, you know, I think that's been a real encouragement to people because, you know, like this was the ultimate test of our faith mm. and of, you know, what we believe and how we, how we wanted to live our lives. And, um, you know, she's, she, she was super faithful and all that. And, um, so anyway, it's been a cr crazy, a crazy journey. And I think we, we're, we're just beginning to sort of put some perspective and some, you know, sense of like, what, what has God been showing to showing to us to, through all this? What, um, what is helping you grieve? Um, just slowing down, um, acknowledging and feeling the things that we're feeling, um, acknowledging in, in, in our, like I've, as I've started to come into the background of some business meetings or client discussions or, you know, with, with a podcast, um, I've been saying, Hey, I'm out of balance. So I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to feel normal for a while. And I'm and like, I'm okay with that. And I need you all to be like, we're trying to like, articulate and say some things for people, um, for, for, for everyone around me. Right. And so, um, my kids have been, my relationship with my kids has been just such a gift in the last, uh, four years. I feel like, you know, there's not many things that Jill's passing, you know, benefits anybody, but if there's one thing for sure, it's that my kids and I are just absolutely for each other, super close, deeply bonded. Mm. I would trade anything, you know, to sort of, you know, support them and, and, and help them and, and, um, and they for me. And so it's been, it's been really sweet. Um, we've had a lot of fun together and we, we build Legos and we play board games and we enjoy really good food and, um, we've been watching, you know, a lot of movies and television shows and comedy. We watch a lot of comedy, um, and just, just remembering that there's still, you know, sort of light in the world. And, um, we've, had, we've got a couple dogs that are just absolute knuckleheads. So, you know, they, <laughs> they just, they delight, delight us. They're so stupid, but they're, they're funny. And, um, so anyway, those are, you know, just like you really do. Oh, wow. This is a, you know, this, this, this weekend we, you know, we made some, some spaghetti and like, I'm really learning how to make good food and healthy food for the kids. And, and, um, you know, people brought so much food and it was so great to be cared for, but it's like, you know, you just don't want to be, it's not the dependency on others, but it's like, you know, it's, it's like, there's a whole new rhythm to that. So I made this really delicious, you know, spaghetti dinner and, you know, it's kind of like, it's fun just to, Hey, hey wow. Like this isn't quite what Jill would have made. Not, not nearly as good, but it's not that bad. And the <laughs> kids got fed. I, I like to joke with, um, some friends of mine, I was like, man, this family, they like want to eat every single day. I can't believe it. <laughs> There's your next book. Dad's not that bad cookbook. There you go. <laughs> I like it. Uh, what, what have been some things because, uh, you know, most of us listening uh, try to help people grieve and, you know, we're doing the service or we're coming around families or we're offering pastoral care. or We're in group with people without naming names. What has been helpful and what has not been helpful? Um, well, at first, I think every single person 
is different. So, you know, things yeah. that might support my, my, my mother in her grief and losing a daughter-in-law or things that might support me or my children or others who are around, like everyone lost something. Everyone who knew Jill lost something really precious and special. And Jill was very others oriented. So, you know, just so many people are just, they're just so deeply impacted by Jill's loss in ways that, you know, um, um, you know, only Jill would have seen how much she, she wouldn't have even known or acknowledged, but she was just so central to so many people. Um, so, I mean, first, just recognizing that you can't put um, words to grief. And so just slowing down and listening. Um, it is interesting now being 90 days out um, that, you know, the the numbers of people who who check in with you is diminishing. Mm. Um, and the, those who do check in, you know, have been checking in every few weeks or, or more or, or whatever rhythm, you know, there's a few people that are like, Hey, I'm praying for you today. Like, how are you doing today? You don't have to answer if you don't want to answer, but just want you to know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you. What are specific things? If you want to say that I could be praying for, um, I got this absolutely beautiful note that brought tears to my eyes. Uh, the first week of January uh, from a friend, Nancy Guthrie, uh, who said, uh, you know, I suppose for most of us, the 2020, we're glad to see it go. But for, tw- for you, 2021 means, you know, an empty, a, a whole year of empty bed, empty table, empty house, empty, you know, and it's just like, she put words exactly to the way I was feeling about the new year. And so that would be one encouragement I'd, I'd have for you is like, first, don't sort of, sort of step into someone's grief. Um, it's okay not to, you know, it, it's okay not to say things. But it doesn't help if you just if if it's real um, uh, simplistic and like you know like you know it it, it 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 almost never it's almost never bad to say something but 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 the best I think way to enter someone's grief uh, is to try to think about what they might be art- but what they might be feeling in that moment and 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 actually going for it you know I've got a note from my my brother's wife's mother. Um, and she's just a few, just a few days ago. She said, Hey, you know, for a lot of us people, people have probably moved on, but I'm just telling you, I still, I'm still thinking about the fact that your loss has to hurt. And so I think those things matter so much to us. Any uh, notes for us, David, from what you're learning so far on grieving or navigating a personal crisis, personal loss, while also leading, running a company (laughs) that is doubly hard. Well, for, for one thing, I actually felt like when, when COVID hit, you know, I remember when I sent you a note, Carrie, um, back in November of 2019, I sent you a little video message. Uh, it would, it would have been just a month or so after Jill's diagnosis. And I was starting to tell people at that time that this was going to be terminal. And because, you know, you, you have to be careful not to, you know, and in, in deciding to live publicly. I mean, this is one of the, the things that I think leaders have to make their own decisions about is, how personal do you get? What do you share with everyone? What is private? Um, Jill was very open about things. So that made it a little easier and that she was not, um, you know, she was not temperamentally inclined towards um, a lot of privacy or, or, or undue privacy about some mm-hmm. of those things. Um, and so she was fine with us sharing, you know, kind of the journey. But, but in those early months, we, we didn't want to share too much. So I think that's one decision. Um, I remember we talked to Lisa Turkhurst a little about that in one of our previous podcasts about, you know, the things that are confidential, things that are private, things that are, you know, how do we lead authentically as we talk about the issues we're dealing with? Um, and you sent me a note back and, you know, it was, it was so sweet. You know, you were, you were touched and you were, you were in tears for me. And it's like, whatever, whatever I can do for you in this next year, you let me know. And that actually 
meant so much to me that I was like, hey, for, I, I would like to work with Carrie. But it was also like, as we started talking about the state of the church 2020 and, you know, um, and work we were going to do together, I was like, you know, I feel like Carrie could really be a, not just sort of a, you know, business colleague, but a, but a friend through this. So that would be one other lesson for me is like, just figure out who could be real friends for you as you go through crisis and, you know, lean on them, lean on them as hard as you, as you can. And then of course, when COVID happened, um, there was something actually very peaceful about that whole experience. I mean, it wasn't fun. Nobody, nobody enjoyed the quarantine and some of the pivots that we all did. But I was like, wow, the external reality in the whole world now matches how my own, my own leadership reality is. And so I actually think God uses suffering um, to help us as leaders and, and not just so we can be better leaders and more effective and all the rest, but he actually, he connects our heads and our hearts through suffering in ways that are so important. Um, I'm so much more present to what other people I have so much more to go in my journey on this, but so much more present to the to the suffering of other people. Mm. Um, so much more aware of just how limited you know our lives are, and and you know just uh, just humbled before the Lord in that. And so I feel like leading our our company through COVID, um, you know, certainly wasn't easy. wasn't like we made every step correctly, but um, you know, God was using the experience with Jill to help prepare me even for that. I really appreciate you sharing that, David, because we weren't really working super closely together at the time you sent me that. And you kind of brought me in sort of with that journey. You'd send me a text or we do fake Marco Polo where you video something to me and I video something to you, right? That kind of thing. And and I just, I remember, I mean, because I've always found that as a pastor, pastoral empathy is not my my natural gifting. Um, But I just remember like, cheering for you when the diagnosis was good and mourning with you when the diagnosis wasn't so good. But I I would just say, you know, what I felt in that moment, because I remember that exchange was, I just need to be for David, whatever that matters, sort of borrowing the language of our mutual friend, Jeff Henderson. I just, I just want to be for you. And I think if I can just say to leaders who maybe aren't going through what David has gone through and is going through, if you can just figure out how to be for that, and you don't have the bandwidth, this is this is a whole other podcast, whole other book. But you know, I almost got burned out from compassion fatigue. Right? You lead a big church; it's like this is happening multiple times a day. But there's a handful of people you can go through this with, and make sure you're going through it with them, and then and then try to help as much. And it was also really helpful for me to know that those texts, like I remember in the in the weeks and months after Jill died, I would text you, and I wouldn't always hear a reply, and I'm like, that's okay. David's going through stuff, but those, those were still welcome. Right. Yeah. I think there's almost never an instance where, um, you should say, Oh, they don't, I don't want to bother that person because Mm. for me, it was just, you know, I was overwhelmed with cards and letters and, and, you know, messages and other things. And so sometimes it was simply just a matter of, you know, just having the bandwidth to respond. Oh, I get it. But like, those are still welcome. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think there's always, uh, unless you put your foot in your mouth and sort of say something really, really stupid, right? Like, I'm going to send you a text tomorrow. David, I got all kinds of advice for you. Want to take a call? <laughs> or, you know, somehow God, God, you know, you, you deserve this because, you know, some, some oh. unfaithfulness in your life. And there's, there's oh, a few man. of those kinds of weird things. Um, but, um, you know, I think, I think anytime you can reach out is, is a good thing. And, and I think it's important then as leaders who are going through crisis for us to, to really, 
and, and, and Jesus does this to sort of, he's got his 12, but he also had his three. And so, you know, it's okay to, to, to shrink your circle of the people that, you know, you can rely on for certain things and not just to get things done, but you know, like there, there, there's, you don't have to, even as Jill and I were very open about her journey and blogging about that. Um, and, you know, trying to, I've been on Twitter trying to, you know, post remembrances of Jill or certain milestones because I'm a human who's lost, lost a wife. Um, but I, but I think it's okay for us to have places where we are very private and, and like the journey that the Lord has me on in my grief uh, has, has been its own kind of, um, um, you know, very intimate, very, very precious, very difficult thing. Uh, but but it is important for us to have people that we can lean on, and and not everybody who has been your best friend uh, up until that moment, you just can't keep them all up to date about up to date about every single part of that journey. Yeah. Well, um, you're back on the podcast, and you're stepping back, kind of easing back into Barna. Um, and I know the team has been working on a number of projects. So just give us a sneak peek as we wrap up into what's ahead for you and for Barna. And where people can learn more, David. Well, a couple of things that we're working on this year that I'm really excited about. I mean, first, we just launched a brand new uh, what we call Volume Two Gen Z. Uh, so um, we had probably our best-selling report um, of our last five six years was Gen Z. Uh, really talked about the dynamics of that generation, sort of the next next generation. And um, so Volume Two just came out, and so you can check that out at Barna.com. You can also check out the Gen Z, Reaching Gen Z Lab, which will be kicking off in early March. And so it's a guided six-week uh, experience for you to sort of create a ministry plan around Gen Z and the research findings. Um, and on the topic of next gen, lots and lots of stuff on Barna Access. Mm. So people can subscribe there. Um, you know, so so that's been been awesome. And among the things, again, I'm just so proud of the team. You know, it's like, it feels like, you know, they've stewarded this vision that George and Nancy Barna started. You've been such a great support. Our friends at Glue, our friends, many of our partners have been such a great support through this. Um, but we're, we're going to be doing a lot of city work where we look at the tre- trends, sort of micro trends in specific cities around the country. So we're excited about that. You'll be hearing more about that from us. Um, I'm actually looking forward to start working on some new, a, a new book project. And some new things coming out, but um, anyway, it's it's been like I said at several points through this this podcast. Um, I feel like I'm in the background. I'm not you know fully back, but I'm also sort of giving myself permission just to do the things that I'm really enjoying and being good at the research and being good at you know running the company is is um, is fun. Sort of like okay, yeah, cool. It feels like it feels like a little normal. It's weird, like not getting texts from Jill or you know like mm-hmm. like trying to like, oh yeah, like so many p- p- points during during the a week or a day, you know, I'm like, hey, I, I wanted to reach out and mention something to Jill or talk to her about something. It's like, oh man, just the loss hits on so many levels mm. or p- parenting my kids. But, um, you know, again, as as the Lord allows, um, I'm so grateful to be here and serving the church through this company and with this team and with you, Carrie. So thanks, mm. uh, thanks so much to listeners and those who have been so uh, supportive and generous and thoughtful. Um, it's meant so much to me and to my family. And so for sure. Thank thank you for that. David, thank you. Um, just so appreciate your friendship, your leadership, all that you're doing. And, uh, I know this has helped a lot of leaders. So we'll be back next time on church pulse weekly with uh, a little more usual episode, but I'm so glad we did this and David, it's good to be together. 
Thank you. Yeah, you too, Carrie. Thanks so much, friend. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.